And I am very excited to continue this series that we've been doing on the book of Revelation. Have you enjoyed this series so far? I know it's, it can be a, a difficult subject sometimes maybe to understand or to talk about, and especially with what's going on right now in the world, just makes it even more uh, relevant or draws our attention to it even more. But uh, this series, you know, I, I want to kind of recap what we've talked about so far in this series. And the first thing is to understand that the book of Revelation in your Bible is not meant to be a coded mystery that we have to solve. Okay, and, and also, I hope you have your notes. If you didn't get the note handout on your way in, raise your hand. Our ushers are going to make sure you get that at every location. If you need a copy of these notes, we want you to have this resource to go back and, and read them and, and, and help you keep your rhythm and tempo throughout the week. But Revelation is not supposed to be a coded mystery that is waiting to be solved. And I know it was kind of popularized like that, especially in the mid-90s. If you grew up like me, watching the Left Behind movies or reading the Left Behind books, it can kind of paint Revelation in this picture that it's a mystery that needs to be solved. Uh, it, it was not written, believe it or not, the Holy Spirit did not inspire John and give him these visions to write to us to confuse us and give us fear. Would you believe that? That the Holy Spirit inspired John to write the book of Revelation to give us hope for the end, not fear and confusion. And so this month, what we've been doing is going on this journey of rediscovering what the book of Revelation is all about. And if you have missed weeks one and two, you can go back on our website, life.cc. You can catch those there or on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, and I encourage you to do that because there's a lot of context, especially in week one, there's a lot of context that I give you about the book of Revelation that's going to help you uh, throughout this series. We talked about how the book of Revelation is three things. It is a letter, a prophecy, and an apocalypse. That's what the word revelation means, is apocalypse. In the Greek, it's apocalypsis. In English, it's revelation. And so as a letter, it had a real and practical meaning to the original recipients. The Apostle John is, is exiled to the island of Patmos, and he is writing to real churches with real people with real problems. The book of Revelation is also a biblical prophecy. And as a biblical prophecy, remember we talked about this, it's not just giving us a picture of the future. It's not just predicting future events. It is showing us the unseen realities of the future and of our present world. It's showing us what's really going on. As an apocalypse, as, as apocalyptic literature, it's rich in symbolism. A lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. It uses numbers to represent ideas. It uses animals to represent people or nations. It uses colors and imagery in ways that gives things a deeper meaning. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to show the seven churches in Asia that John was writing to and to show us that things are not as they seem. That's the purpose of this book, to show us that things are not as they seem. In week one, we talked about the four horsemen. We talked about how the horsemen are riding today. They're not going to ride someday in the future, but they are riding today, sowing discord and hate and anger, and fear, and anxiety, and sickness, and death, and plague, and famine. Last week, we talked about the letters to the church, the seven letters there that we see to the seven churches 
in Asia Minor, the call to repentance to these churches, the words of encouragement to these churches to withstand in the face of persecution. And today we're going to tackle a subject that it's a little, it's a little scary. It, it can be scary if you don't have the proper understanding of what Revelation is talking about. It can be scary to talk about the beast and the mark of the beast. But that's the subject that we're going to dive into today, the beast and his mark. So I want to help us have the right lens for understanding this. I know we've already had some context in the last couple of weeks, but just one more time, I want to make sure that we are reading Scripture the way it was meant to be read. And if we don't read Revelation the proper way, we're going to fall into what I will call headline hermeneutics. Okay, headline hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics, that's a, a term. It just means you're interpreting Scripture. Every time you sit down and you open your Bible and you're reading it, you are doing hermeneutics. You are interpreting what Scripture means for you. And that's just a, a, the official or fancy title of saying interpreting Scripture. It's sitting down and asking, what is the true meaning of this text? Okay. Now, headline hermeneutics would be when you allow the current events of your world and the current things that are going on in your day and age to overshadow the biblical context in your interpretation. I'm not saying current events don't matter. I'm not saying that current events are irrelevant. I'm saying that the way we interpret what the Bible says about our current events matters. So when John wrote Revelation, it had real practical meaning for the people of that day, and understanding what it meant for them is key to understanding what it means to us. Does that make sense to everybody? That if we're going to know what Revelation means to us, living in the year 2023 in the United States of America, we first have to understand the biblical context of what it meant to them. And if we skip this step of understanding the biblical context. And I'm helping you here because this is how you can read Scripture now. This, is, this will help you read Scripture. If we skip this step, we're going to jump straight to the headlines. We're going to see a new Antichrist every election cycle. We're going to see the apocalypse in every rumor of war. We're going to see the mark of the beast in every new technology, every new medical device, every new government mandate. And I would just tell you this, we're not meant to read Revelation to try and predict who the coming Antichrist leader is that's going to make everybody get a barcode on their forehead, that's not what it's about. Is everybody okay with that? The Bible warns us to pay attention. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says this, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We must pay attention. We must pay careful attention that we're not led astray by misinterpretations or distractions or false doctrines or false prophets. And I would just tell you right now, with everything going on in the world, beware of the Instagram prophets and the TikTok theologians that are riding that algorithm wave right now showing up in your feed. Discern the spirits. And if they are inciting fear in you, unfollow, block, delete. Maybe just delete all the apps for a moment. 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 18, and then I'm going to read verses 20 through 25. It says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. The Apostle John is saying this in the first century, okay? Almost 2,000 years ago, he's saying, hey, we're in the last hour. The last hour is the time frame between the, the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We're in the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. In the first century, John's saying, yes, you've heard the Antichrist is coming, but there have already been Antichrists that have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, many will come in my name. Many will be pretending to be me. False messiahs, that white horse that we talked about in week one. John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the King of the world, that person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church. See that what you have heard from the beginning, pay careful attention. That's what he's saying. Pay careful attention to what you have heard. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Don't be swayed by all these things you're hearing. Yes, you've hear, you're hearing the Antichrist is coming. Don't be swayed by it. Be sure that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Now, this is the same John that we're reading here in 1 John. That's the same John that wrote the book of Revelation that we've been studying this month. And in this passage that I just read to you, John is telling us, he was telling those believers and he's telling us that there is a coming Antichrist and that many Antichrists had already come. So what John is basically saying is, guys, the enemy is at work. The enemy is at work in the world right now. And I want you to notice, John doesn't spend time in his letter trying to name the Antichrist. Or trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, and he doesn't instruct his readers to try and figure out who the Antichrist is. He says, guys, the devil is working in the world. I know you're hearing all kinds of crazy news right now. I know you're hearing some crazy new teachings and some weird doctrines. Ignore all of that, but see that you have what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So don't be distracted by everything that's going on. Yes, the Antichrist is coming. Yes, the enemy is at work in the world, but see to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. I was in 1 John, and you know, the book of Revelation actually does not use the term Antichrist. That word is actually, uh, it's not in the book of Revelation. It only appears in Scripture in three places, the word Antichrist, and that is in 1 and 2 John. Instead, Revelation talks about three figures, three monsters, three beasts, and we're going to talk about them today. The first figure that the book of Revelation talks about is the dragon, the dragon. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says this, the great dragon 
was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. The dragon in Revelation, that is Satan, our eternal spiritual enemy. In Revelation chapter 12, it's painting a picture that there is this cosmic spiritual battle taking place. That, that there's more going on than what you and I can see. That beneath the surface of our physical life and our daily life and what we consider our normal life and our normal routine, there is a cosmic spiritual war being waged and the dragon Satan is waging war against God's people. That's what Revelation 12 shows us. The dragon, our spiritual enemy, Satan, his goal is to take worship away from God. That's always been his purpose, to take worship away from God. And you know what? He's okay if he doesn't get the worship. He's okay if we worship ourselves. He just doesn't want God to get the worship. So that's the first figure that we're going to talk about today is the dragon that we see in Revelation, especially in Revelation 13. That's the chapter that we're really going to dig into today, Revelation 13. The dragon is Satan, and, the, and Satan is hurled to the earth, and in this vision that John is having, he sees another beast that the dragon calls forth. So the dragon, Satan, he's calling forth these beasts, and the beast that... that Satan calls forth in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and I'm also going to read verse 4. This is the beast that is most commonly associated and referred to as the Antichrist. Remember, Revelation calls it the beast. This is what Scripture says. The dragon, after being hurled to the earth, stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. Now it's important, remember these numbers, we're going to come back to this. It had seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on its horns, and on each head it had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? You know that song we have that says, who is like the Lord? Strong in battle, who is like the Lord? Look at this mocking of God. Who is like the beast? Pulling worship away from God. The beast, what does that represent? And this is where it can get touchy. This is where there can be a lot of confusion. This is where there can be a lot of anxiety because we'll do headline hermeneutics and we'll look at this politician and this world leader and this leader, this religious person and say, that's it. That's the beast of the end times. But can I tell you that what the Bible is telling us here, what Revelation is telling us here, this beast represents a human kingdom that has stepped out from under the rule of God. The beast represents the kingdom of man that has assumed being its own God. It's nations and empires and regimes throughout history 
that have tried to be the ultimate authority on the earth. As John was writing Revelation, the beast was manifesting as Rome. Before Rome, it was Babylon and Assyria and and Egypt. And actually, when you go back to this passage that we have referenced here, and you see the description that John is given, that he's seeing in this vision, the, the leopard and the bear and the lion, and it's kind of a mixture and a combination of all these animals, that's coming directly from the book of Daniel and the vision that Daniel has of these different creatures that represent these kingdoms like Babylon and Assyria. And John here is seeing them all kind of mixed up together because it's giving us a representation that throughout history, there's going to be these kingdoms that rise up that try to assume to be the ultimate authority on the earth and in your life. And it's blasphemy. So it was Rome. Before that, it was Babylon and Assyria and Egypt. And since the days of Rome, there have been many kingdoms And this work is still alive today. The beast is the result of what happens when a human kingdom, a kingdom of man, colludes with Satan and seeks to take the place of God. Is that okay, everybody, this morning? Remember, I told you, remember the description here, the numbers. It has seven heads and ten crowns. Well, what's the importance of that? Seven is the number for completeness. Ten is the number for totality. And so what it's showing us is that the beast has complete and total power to do the tangible work of Satan on the earth. What is the work of Satan on the earth? To oppress and entice and destroy God's people and to take worship away from God. In scripture, remember it it gives us this picture, the beast has seven heads and ten horns and, and ten crowns. When you read Revelation, you see that Christ is the only one worthy to wear a crown. That when Christ returns, he's wearing many crowns. So this is an imposter. The beast, he's just a a fake. He's an imitation savior. He's a phony. He's a fake. He's an imposter. And on each head of the beast is a blasphemous name, is what Scripture says. Blasphemy is demonic work. Blasphemy is not just a curse word, and you shouldn't say that word. But blasphemy is much more than that. To blaspheme God is to have the intention of stopping the work of God. And so the beast is marked by all these blasphemous names that mean it wants to stop the rule of God. It wants to stop the kingdom of God. It wants to stop the work of God. It slanders God, and it wants to replace God. The beast is the blasphemous human kingdom with cosmic backing, cosmic satanic empowerment that seeks to draw mankind away from God and to himself. And listen, Satan is working in every nation and in every human kingdom. He is working in every kingdom to turn it into a beast. The blasphemy of the beast says, look what we can achieve without God. It was the same blasphemy that was at the Tower of Babel. There's a quote from a man named Daryl Johnson. It says this, John is opening up for us, speaking of this passage of the beast and the dragon. He says, John is opening up for us a sobering, unseen reality of the present. Governments Governments which step outside from under the rule of God do not become more divine. They become demonic. 
Governments that exalt humanity as the measure of all things do not become more humane, they become more bestial. And I know what many of you are thinking right now. Hold on, Pastor Bo. Isn't the beast, isn't the Antichrist supposed to be just a person, one person? And I would just refer you back to scriptures we've read in this series already. John said the Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists have already come. But he also said, even now the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world. Y'all remember that? And then Paul wrote in Thessalonians, and he said, yes, the man of lawlessness is coming. The singular figure is coming, but even now the secret power of lawlessness is working in the world. So yes, I I believe that they're in the final hour, the last of the last days. I do believe that there's going to be a singular antichrist leader that's going to come and lead human kingdoms in a massive rebellion against God. The beast is here and the beast is coming. So be careful where you place your hope and trust, church. Be careful what you're putting your hope and trust and time and resources and energy in. John is saying, don't be fooled by the beast. Don't put your hope and trust in the beast. And I'm certainly not trying to promote any kind of conspiracy ideas or trying to deter you from fulfilling your civil duty to vote. I think we should vote and we should work to implement godly biblical policies and values in our communities. But if your politician does not get elected, don't be unsettled. Y'all following me? If your guy doesn't, the guy that you think is just the man of God doesn't win the election, don't be unsettled. Because I don't care if it's right or left. Ultimately, to a point, these kingdoms of man are no longer good, and they're doing the work of Satan. Until Christ returns, there will not be a perfect kingdom of man. So be careful where you put your hope and trust. And don't be cynical. Don't be cynical. Be careful. Be discerning. Over and over again, John writes in Revelation, Let he who has ears hear, exercise wisdom and discernment. Don't be fearful, don't be cynical, but be careful. This is not the only way that the dragon, that that Satan, seeks to destroy the people of God. Revelation tells us that the beast is accompanied by another beast. There's a second beast, and this beast is commonly referred to as the false prophet that Satan calls forth the Antichrist and the false prophet. We see it in Revelation 13, verses 11 and 15. John says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Remember that. Looked like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image of the first beast could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. The false prophet is what leads people to put their faith in the beast. The false prophet is who leads the people to put their faith in the kingdom of man, to worship the human kingdom instead of God. 
The false prophet represents anti-Christ ideology, any way of thinking and living that is not aligned with who Christ is. It looks like a lamb, and we've seen in Revelation that Jesus has depicted as a lamb who is slain. Looks like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. It can look appealing. Looks good. It sounds good. It sounds right. It sounds like this is what God would want. But it speaks like a dragon. It has a chaotic and demonic nature. The false prophet brings a dragon-manipulated ideology that drives the kingdom of the beast. Antichrist ideology, which invades every human institution and even the church. That this false prophet can be spewing ideas, ideologies, philosophies, ways of living that can invade the arts and science and technology and education and religious institutions, bringing lawlessness. Listen, the false prophet, this is what it brings. It brings a worldly, corrupted, godless way of thinking and believing. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that John wrote about. This is the secret power of lawlessness that Paul wrote about. The false prophet comes to sway and entice people away from Jesus Christ. It's here to pull us away from living God's way. In this description of this false prophet, of this second beast, it says that it was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. That's idolatry. In this culture that John is writing in, there were many false pagan gods that had idols built to them, and here we see the, the false prophet is given the power to bring life or basically make people worship the first beast. It's pointing people to the beast. It's manipulating and pressuring and enticing people to trust in themselves, to trust in the kingdom of man, to trust in the ways of man, to trust in the systems and institutions and structures of man. To abandon God. When we look in our world today, this postmodern world that we live in with subjective truth and woke ideology and gender ideology and sexual ideology and also moral conservatism that masquerades as Christianity. It's false faith that places human pride and reasoning above the ways of God. That's what the false prophet brings. And he comes not just to make people worship the beast, but to bring the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 16 through 18 says this, it also forced all people, pay attention now, all people great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. What's the mark? Which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Listen here, pay attention. Let he who has ears hear. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Now, before we dive into this number and its meaning, we have to know that this mark 
the mark of the beast that it says it's going to force people to get on their foreheads or on their hands, it mimics the seal of God that is placed on the foreheads of God's chosen people in Revelation. We've already seen God has sealed his people. He's marked them, sealed them on their foreheads. And the mark of the beast, it's mimicking that. You see how it's trying to be this imitation imposter savior? No one is above it. No one's below it. Everyone can fall to it, can fall for it. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, like Scripture says. Doesn't matter if you're great or small. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free. No one is immune from it. No one is exempt from it. No one can resist it except the people who have been sealed by God. Now let's talk about the significance of the forehead and the right hand. I know so many times we can get worried about, you know, microchips and barcodes and all of these things. And for a while during COVID, we thought it was, well, it's the mask is the mark of the beast because I can't go to the store and buy things. Let's talk about what the Bible is talking about when it references the forehead and the right hand. These are always significant. Throughout Scripture, the forehead and the right hand are always significant for how God molds and forms his people. Listen to me now. The forehead represents ideology, and the hand represents action. To make this simple, here's a quote from a man named G.K. Beale. The forehead represents ideological commitment, your worldview, the way you think, and the hand represents the practical outworking of that commitment. So the mark of the beast is adopting his way of thinking and his way of living. The mark of the beast... You don't have to worry about microchips. You don't have to worry about barcodes. The mark of the beast is an internal commitment that is manifested in your outward behavior. It's a counterfeit way of living and thinking. It is an antichrist way of living and thinking. It is a way of living and thinking that is aligned with the kingdoms of man and their false ideologies. It is a way of thinking and living that aligns yourself with worldly kingdoms before aligning yourself with the kingdom of God. The Bible says you cannot buy or sell without the mark. It's talking about economic and social ostracism. You will not be accepted by society. If you're worried about being the weird Jesus freak at work, and if they find out I'm a Christian, they're going to think I'm weird. Good. So what? Let them think you're weird. Because I would say this, if you are living out a version of Christianity that is accepted by the world, you're probably living out a false doctrine. You have probably fallen for a false religion, what the false prophet has seeped into the church that is accepting of the ways of the world and accepting of the cultures of the world. If your Christianity is accepted by the world, it's probably the wrong one. There will be economic and social ostracism. You won't be accepted by society. You will be ridiculed. And think about the original readers of this letter. They were literally locked out of the economic system. They literally could not buy or sell. If they were found out to be a a Christian, we talked about the seven churches last week. One of these churches in the city of Thyatira, it was a guild city. And you know what a guild is? It's like a trade like all the blacksmiths get together and there's a guild of blacksmiths. Listen, every trade in the city of Thyatira, if you had a job, you had to be part of a guild. 
And part of being in the guild means you have to participate in the pagan rituals of the Roman Empire and of the culture. And so Thyatira, these people that are living there, they have an option. They can compromise and get a job and participate with the culture, or they could be locked out of the economic system and stand for truth. It's very real for them. In China today, in China today, if Christians are found, they have a negative social score. If the government finds out you're a Christian in China, you get a negative social score that keeps you from getting certain jobs, that could keep you from getting financing, that can lock you in or lock you out of an economic system. So what about this number? What about this number we've always seen? What about this number where we take every name of the person we think is the Antichrist and we try to figure out how the letters of their name add up to 666? Or this number that we read every barcode and try to determine if it's 666? Let me help you here. Six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. Okay, six is also the number of incompleteness. Seven is completeness, six is incompleteness. Six is man. The number three is the number of divine. And so what we have here is 666. We have three sixes. It's humanity trying to be divine. It's when human kingdoms try to be divine. It's when man tries to be God. What's the mark of the beast? The number 666. It's the kingdom of man trying to be the ultimate power and authority on earth. And listen, church, this is the same temptation from Satan to Eve. You will be like God. And listen, just like the beast, where there is the spirit of the Antichrist and the secret power of lawlessness at work in the world, and there have been Antichrists come before, and there are antichrists here now, and there is coming a singular antichrist leader that will lead a great rebellion in the last of the last days. I also believe that there will be a singular false prophet that entices people. You know, it's this magnanimous person that can, that can spew his philosophy and ideology that seeps into every facet and institution of our world that pulls and entices people away from God. It causes people to put their faith in something else instead of God. Think about the churches that John is writing to. Pergamum was compromising on truth. We talked about this last week. They're compromising on truth. Thyatira just spoke about it. They're being pressured to join these guilds that would cause them to participate in pagan worship. Laodiceans are just lukewarm. They don't care. They're, they're, they're clueless. Sardis had fallen asleep. The call to repentance to them was, hey, wake up. Wake up and see what's happening around you. Ephesians had forgotten what it's all about. They forgot their first love. And so what I'm telling you today, Life Church, is that the book of Revelation is about who will you worship? Who will you worship? Whose mark will you take? Who will you give your commitment to, your loyalty to, your time your attention, your energy, your resources to. Which kingdom are you going to serve? And there is no middle ground. You can't be Sweden or Switzerland and just stay out of it. You can't. You're going to live in one of these two kingdoms. 
You're either going to be sealed by God or have the mark of the beast. You're either going to live God's way or you're going to live the beast's way. You're either going to submit to God as the ultimate authority in your life or you're going to try to live your life like you're the ultimate authority. So what do we do about the beast and his mark? What do we do about this cosmic spiritual war that we're in? Where Satan is working and influencing the culture. Don't you know the Bible tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world? Did did y'all know that? That he influences culture. That he will influence the ideologies of culture and what's accepted by culture and what's celebrated by culture and what's important to culture. And he'll use the culture to seep into every institution, even the church, to try to sway you away from true faith. So what do we do about the beast and his mark? The first is this. We have radical hospitality. I I bet you were thinking I was going to go into something like, we're going to have all-night prayer meetings. We're going to have watch night services. You know, radical hospitality. Why, why, Why hospitality? I chose hospitality. I chose this word. Let's say I chose it even over like words like compassion. Because a lot of times I think, When we think of compassion, it just means I need to show compassion to someone less fortunate than me or compassion to someone that's going through a tough time. I didn't use words like kindness because that can be so surface level. You know, you just put on a fake smile and just be the nice guy that's that's really just indifferent to everything going on. I chose hospitality because it's it takes intentionality, okay? Hospitality is the kind of love your enemies type of hospitality. Like not just the people in your church and the people that vote like you and the people that think like you. Hospitality, radical hospitality of the kingdom of God, rejecting the ways of the world and the kingdom of the beast and his mark. Radical hospitality is, hey, every person that I encounter, I am going to show the love and patience and kindness and goodness of God. Hospitality really engages in getting to know someone and building relationships with people. It's easy to encounter someone that has a completely different worldview than you do and just immediately cut them off. Like as soon as you find out how they vote or how they think or what they believe, it's like, oh, this per- me and this person cannot be friends. Radical hospitality is like, yeah, okay, we're, we're arguing about this political point, but you know what? What I really want to know is, tell me more about yourself. How'd you grow up? What, what, was, what was life like for you growing up? What did you want to be when you were in high school? What, what, what was the vision you had for your life? You see, it's like diverting away from the headline hermeneutics and the current events and the, the tension that the beast is causing. And this radical hospitality says, why don't you come into my world? Why don't you, I'm going to let you see into my life. I'm going to I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real with you. I'm just going to let you see what's going on in my life. And I want you to see how I can have peace, even though things aren't going the way I wanted them to go. I'm going to show you how I can have peace, even though this situation's happening in my life, and I'm dealing with this sickness, and I just got laid off, and and I'm struggling to pay my bills, but God is good. Radical hospitality that engages everyone with the love of God, regardless of who they are, 
Radical hospitality rejects the fear and hostility that the, fa- the false prophet and the beast create. Radical hospitality rejects the division and hatred that the beast and the false prophet create. Now listen to me, church. I already said this. That this we're not going to be cynical. I have political you know, convictions that I vote according to those convictions. I also have some of the best friends, some of my very best friends, people I love with all my heart, vote differently than me. And the beast would want me to draw a line and say, nope, I don't want anything to do with you. If I ever engage with this person, it's just going to be a debate and an argument. Man, let me get off on a little tangent here. Is that okay? I wonder how many of us believers, and if you're a guest with us, welcome to church. (laughs) Bet you didn't expect to hear about the Antichrist when you came to church today. Hopefully it's been okay for you. But if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, I think we should ask ourselves, do my children know more about how I vote than how much faith I put in Jesus Christ? Like, do the, the, the children that sit at my dinner table and sit in my house, do they hear me speaking more about the policies I disagree with and the politicians that I hate more than the peace of God and the love of God in my life? All right, that was my soapbox. Radical hospitality happens when we understand Listen, church, this is how it happens. When you understand that what we see is not really what's going on. What we see when we look in the world and the culture war and the people on the other side who are so evil and wicked or stupid and stubborn, what we see is not really what's going on. The dragon is at work. The beast is here. The false prophet is breathing. And we're meant to live in a different kingdom. We're meant to be ambassadors of a different kingdom. Stop seeing people as the enemies and start loving others and serving others and praying for others and showing hospitality to others as the people of God. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40 says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, the righteous ones, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and and invite you in? or, Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you as a sick person or in prison or, and go visit you? These people are so confused because they have been doing the work of God the whole time. And they were like, wait, when did we do that? And for context here, Jesus is talking about when he returns and judges the world. There are going to be these on his right that are accepted. He says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Those who rejected the hostility and division of the world and embraced the hospitality of the kingdom of God are the ones that are rewarded. The others who looked the part and talked the part, they're turned away because they were doing it just because it was the thing to do, the motions, it was that moral conservatism. Well, I'm just a good person, I follow the American dream, and I mostly do what is right. I mostly do the right thing. Second thing is this, radical worship. Because there is a false prophet that's at work right now trying to get you to worship the beast. 
trying to get the world to worship the beast, trying to get you to put your faith and trust in yourself above God and man-made institutions above God and your political party above God and your ideology or your group's belief system above God. Radical worship. What does that look like? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Everything that you do, do it as you're doing it unto the Lord. Every thought that you think, every interaction that you have, as you wake up and give your kids breakfast and drive them to school and go to work and get cut off on I-45. Where's Mandy at? Mandy, you're not wearing red today. Stop it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look, Paul goes on. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't look like the world looks. Don't don't think like the world thinks. Don't, Don't get involved with the things the world is consumed and concerned about. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And guess what, church? God has a will in the middle of war and chaos. God has a will for his church and a purpose for his church, regardless of who the president is. I know next year is an election year. Buckle up. Get ready, because the beast and false prophet are going to be raging and breathing and causing division and fear and anger. Remember, ultimately, what kingdom you belong to. The third is this, radical relationship. I'm speaking specifically here about your relationship with Christ. A radical relationship with Christ. Make your whole life about Jesus. Don't let church just be one of the things that you do among the many hobbies that you have. Make your whole life about Jesus. The way you order your steps, the way you align your thoughts, your home environment, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your resources. Let let it be kingdom-minded. Let your whole life be about Jesus. John 14, 25 through 27 says this, all this, this is the gospel of John. Jesus is speaking. All this I have spoken while still with you. Now, just for context, Jesus had just spent, this is the last days, the last moments of of his earthly ministry before he's crucified. And he's just been spending time with his disciples, eating, eating with them, hanging out with them, teaching them, speaking to them. And he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Life Church, peace peace he leaves with us. He's about to be handed over to the Roman Empire. He's about to be handed over to officials who worship the emperor as a god. He's about to be handed over to a kingdom of man, a human kingdom that is being manipulated by the dragon, and he's about to suffer a brutal death. And here he is, and he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I know the world we live in right now is chaotic and evil and scary and dangerous. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Those who are sealed by God, we have victory right now. It's not a coming victory. We have victory right now. This dragon that was hurled to the earth that was defeated, guess what? He is defeated. We're just seeing his last moments of activity before he is forever defeated. We're actually on the offensive, church. You and I were on the offensive. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He conquered the beast. He conquered the false prophet. And now his church is on the march, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and all we're seeing is the last shakings of a dead empire, of a dead kingdom. So have peace. We don't fight the beasts by studying the beasts. We don't fight the beasts by obsessing over the beasts. We don't fight the beasts by looking for who is the beast in culture. We fight the beast by radical relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we know Jesus, if we focus on Jesus, if our whole life is about Jesus, we can spot the counterfeit. If you know Jesus, you'll spot the fake. If you know Jesus, you'll know when a worldly ideology tries to creep into your mind. Listen, I'm going to give you something for free here. There's a lot of people, and they're teaching, and they're talking. It looks good. It looks good, it sounds good, it already aligns with what you believe politically. And these people, these very famous and renowned philosophers and speakers that are going around and, and have the big YouTube channels and the big podcasts and the big interviews, they're so influential in culture right now, they do not confess Jesus as Lord. They are of the Antichrist. Listen to me. It looks good, and it sounds good, and some of them even have teachings that they go through the Bible. They are of the Antichrist. They do not confess Jesus as Lord, and those of you who are tuning in, you know exactly who I'm talking about right now. So beware, and be careful, and use wisdom and discernment, and don't be tempted away by an ideology that tickles your ears and sounds good and mostly aligns with your Christian worldview and mostly aligns with your moral conservatism or mostly aligns with your Christian beliefs even as it acquiesces to culture and accepts things that are against the Word of God. Are y'all following me? So how would the original readers have interpreted this letter? Don't compromise with the world. Don't compromise with the world. Endure. Don't compromise with the beast. Don't give in to the empire. Don't give in to the human kingdom that is persecuting you and enticing you. That's what's happening to the people that we're being written to. Don't think like the people who follow the false prophet. They put their trust and their hope and their faith in the beast. Instead, Revelation calls us to follow Jesus and do not depart from the things you first you stand with me, Life Church. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are false prophets and the secret power of lawlessness. Stand firm. Have wisdom. Have peace. Do not be unsettled by these things. And today I'm going to have a call for repentance. 
This is what repentance means. It just means to stop and turn around and go the opposite direction. To repent just means, okay, I've been living this way and thinking this way and and believing this way and behaving this way. I've been living as my own God. I've been living in my life. There's things in my life. Yeah, I go to church and I believe most of what the Bible says. At least I like the good parts, the things that that matter to me. But there are certain things that just, they're off limits to God. You know, my sexuality is off limits to God. My relationship that I have with this person I'm not married to, that's off limits to God. The things that I choose to say are okay, that's off limits to God. It's a little outdated anyway. Listen, if if, if that's what's going on in your world, you can repent today. You can repent. That's a word of hope and power. It means I'm going to stop falling for the lie of the beast and the false prophet, and I'm going to follow the lamb. I'm going to follow the lamb. I'm going to follow the lamb. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus because he has the best life for you that you could ever live. Don't fall for the lies of the beast. We see what happens in the end. Every person on earth, they're they're driven out. They're in agony, and they're saying, who can save us? Follow Jesus. Let me lead you in a prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that through you, we have the victory. Even right now, standing in this place, in this world that is still full of sickness and death and the effects of sin, we know we have victory in you. That you are coming again. You are returning soon for your church, for your bride. And we can have assurance and confidence that if our faith is in you, that we're saved, Lord. That we are saved from this, this coming judgment that it's through faith in you, it's because of your grace that we can have confidence in this troubled world. It's because of you that in the face of this chaos and adversity and trouble that the world is experiencing right now, we can have hope and joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And we can go out into this dark world and be a light for you. Lord, I pray that right now you would search our hearts and search our minds. Holy Spirit, search us. Search every person that is willing, Lord. Every person that's willing to allow you in right now, search our hearts and our minds. Show us the ways where we have been thinking things that do not align with your will. Show us the ways where we have been living out something that doesn't align with your will. Help us to repent from those things. Help us. If there's people in here today that that need to surrender trying to be their own God or need to surrender putting their hope and faith in something else, if they need to repent and turn to you, I pray that you would help them, Lord. Lead them with your kindness and goodness to repentance, God. I thank you for the joy, the hope, and the peace that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen.